0: The left never lets its myths die. Today, hashtag Mike Brown trended on Twitter, not because the assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors got a new contract. No, it's because Michael Brown, you know, St. Michael of the gentle giantedness, died two years ago today. Which, of course, means the media have to rehash their utter lie that Brown was a wonderful, gentle, giant young man shot in cold blood by an evil white cop, all the while shouting, hands up, don't shoot. Which, of course, is complete crap. Here's what you need to know. First, Michael Brown was a criminal. He strong-arm robbed a convenience store moments before he was pulled over by Officer Darren Wilson along with his buddy, Dorian Johnson. But don't worry, he was just an innocent young man minding his own business. Second, Michael Brown attacked a police officer. So after he was pulled over, Brown leaned into Wilson's window and punched him in the face, which typically is bad strategy if you don't want to have a run-in with the cops. He then reached over to Wilson's gun and tried to grab it, and then when the gun went off he took off and he ran. Third, Brown charged a police officer. After Officer Wilson popped out of the car and told Brown to freeze, Brown decided, you know, it's a great idea. I'm going to turn around and charge the officer while shouting at him that he can't do anything to me. Turns out the officer could and shot him to death. Fourth, Dorian Johnson, Brown's thug best friend, he lied. Brown never said, hands up, don't shoot. He never even held his hands up by both witness and forensic testimony. He certainly didn't surrender at any point to the officer. Fifth, Members of the Ferguson black community pressured witnesses to shut up or lie. President Obama maintained in the middle of all of this that, quote, this is not just an issue in Ferguson. This is an issue for America. There are problems in communities of color. They're not just making these problems up. Except that the community of color in Ferguson actually did make it up. They threatened witnesses who contradicted the narrative. One witness told the cops that threats were actually made to other witnesses. Another admitted that witnesses were embellishing testimony. Twelve witnesses told the police that Wilson shot Brown from behind. Only one problem. He didn't. Sixth, the media tried to turn this incident racial. There was no evidence whatsoever Wilson shot Brown for any other reason than the threat to his life. But the Eric Holder racist Justice Department found there was no rationale for any sort of federal prosecution of Wilson. Seventh, none of this mattered. The media decided the narrative of an innocent black man shot for no reason by a white officer simply had to stand. And then they justified the riots in Ferguson based on that lie. Obama used it as an opportunity to push forward his racist agenda. The Black Lives Matter- launched itself on the back of a lie. And so here we are, two years later, and the left is still pushing its lies. Because after all, the myth has to be created. And it has to be created in a controversial episode to craft the perception that America is deeply divided on racial issues. If they picked a different episode, if they picked like Laquan McDonald, for example, we'd all agree. So instead, they picked a bad example on purpose. And they did so because first, they don't care about facts. And second, they need opposition in order to show that Americans are racist. But, you know, facts actually do matter. Michael Brown was a criminal who tried to kill a cop, and the cop killed him instead. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Tend to demonize people because don't care about your feelings. Ah, here we are. It is a Tuesday. And once again, I am healthy, and life is beautiful, and it's a wonderful thing, except, of course, for politics, which continues to stink beyond all human imagining. Our political scenarios tend to be bad, and now they've gotten even worse. But today... The big boo-boos was Hillary's big boo-boo. So Donald Trump, will talk about his economic speech, the Trumpnomics plan, in just a little while. And we'll get to this massive conservative infighting that's now taking place in the media sector. But we have to start off with Hillary Clinton making a giant, giant boo-boo. So today's Hillary Clinton giant, giant boo-boo is she was giving a rally in uh, in Kissimmee, Florida. And you'll notice something in, in the tape that we're about to show you. One of the people who's sitting behind her on stage is Sadiq Khan, you'll recognize his face. Sadiq Khan was the, um, or or yeah, I think I think his name is Sadiq Khan, correct? He was the the father of um, of Omar Mateen, who was the shooter in the the Orlando jihadist. So maybe Sadiq Mateen. I have to I have to check the name, but in any case, he's he's sitting behind Hillary. Like, so everybody's looking around at this, going, wait, 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 hold on a second. So the guy who shot forty nine people in Orlando, like five minutes away from where Hillary is giving this rally, is sitting behind Hillary at the rally, clapping for her. Oh yes, it happened. It's real. Sadiq Mateen, that is his name, sitting directly behind Hillary Clinton, grinning away like a crazy person.
1: Hillary Clinton speaking to a crowd in Kissimmee, just south of Orlando, supposed to be talking jobs, but started off paying tribute to those affected by the Pulse nightclub shooting. And I know how many people, family members, loved ones and friends are still grieving Notice the man right behind Secretary Clinton with the mustache and wearing a red hat. That's the father of the Orlando shooter. What were you thinking when she was talking about the Orlando incident?
2: We've been helping and uh, we were cooperating with federal government, FBI, and that's about it. Thank you.
1: Sadiq Mateen didn't want to answer any other questions. Anything, sir? No. But just hours later, by chance, we ran into him at a rest stop on the way back to West Palm Beach.
2: Clinton is good for the United States versus uh, Donald Trump.
1: He wanted to do an interview and showed us a sign he made for Hillary Clinton. So tell us why you wanted to stop and talk now.
2: Well, I, I felt like to tell you why I stopped to talk to you because it's very important for the United States of America, especially the election. I was invited by Democratic Party.
1: Just like a come, come support Hillary, just a regular chain email or a personal invitation?
2: So it, it came out. I, I, I'm a member. So as, as a member, I get the invitation. So it's nothing particular about it.
1: What went into your decision about going to this event right near Orlando where this Pulse nightclub shooting happened?
2: Uh, I, I wish because I spoke a lot about that. And I wish that uh, my son joined the army and fought ISIS and destroyed ISIS. That would be much better.
1: Did Hillary Clinton's campaign know that you were going to that event and sitting right directly behind her?
2: Uh, It's a Democratic Party, so everybody can can join.
1: Do you think that some people will be (laughs) surprised to know and to see that you were there in Orlando or near Orlando?
2: Why 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 they should be surprised? I, I love the United States and <laughs> I've been living here for a long
0: time. <laughs> oh, it's beyond parody. So he wasn't specifically invited by the Hillary Clinton campaign. But let's be clear about something. One of the ways that you get to sit behind a candidate at these things, they understand the cameras are shooting up at Hillary Clinton, right? So one of the ways that you get to sit behind the candidate at events like this is the campaign picks who in the crowd they want to sit behind Hillary Clinton. And it's always the United Colors of Benetton, right? It's always It's always a bunch of people from various countries who look very different. It, lo- it looks like a diversity brochure for your local university. They always find the black people and they find the brown people and the Asian people and they stagger them in the background so that it looks like people of all colors, shapes and sizes support Hillary. Well, apparently, terrorist fathers support Hillary, too. So he's, they stick him up there because diversity matters to the Democrats, right? That's the reason why he's up there. The reason he's up there is because he's a brown guy who looks brown and he's got a mustache and he looks like Saddam Hussein and he's sitting up there you know, behind Hillary Clinton because he's supposed to add diversity to the photo. Only later does it occur to them, oh, yeah, that's a guy who says that he likes the Taliban and that gay people will be punished by God and whose son murdered 49 people five minutes from here. So that's kind of awkward. That's kind of weird. It does go to the idea that you know, when Hillary Clinton says that she's going to keep us safe, it's like, darling, you can't even keep your stage safe. from <laughs> like, Like, really, he's the JV team, and he's sitting there behind you. He's not a security threat to Hillary Clinton, but, I mean, his son did murder 49 people. It doesn't seem like the world's smartest idea. So this idea that, that she's going to be really safe on immigration, that she's going to vet all of the various refugees who are coming in all over the United States, that she's, going to, that she's going to vet all the Muslim refugees, we can trust her with our security, obviously that's untrue. And it's silly. Now, the media are not paying any attention to this, of course. So the media went absolutely bonkers. Over the over the fact that Donald Trump, one of his delegates at the RNC, was a white supremacist, now, you remember this? There are tons of reports about this sort of thing, and they asked Donald Trump one, approximately one thousand times about support from david duke and the kkk and donald trump memorably got one of those very egregiously wrong and that's a question you have to get right 100 percent of the time will anybody ask hillary about this will anybody ask hillary i mean first of all she doesn't do press conferences but will anybody ask hillary clinton why is it that the guy who says gays will be punished and the taliban ought to win is sitting behind you at one of your rallies like how did that happen who's getting fired for that 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 question will never be asked. They'll just they'll brush it off. They'll say, "Oh well, you know, anybody can sit anywhere. No big deal." Yeah, because that's the way that the media operate here. But that doesn't mean that that Hillary Clinton is off the hook. It just means that she's able to get away with more. So in other bad Hillary news, the State Department was asked about the fact that, as we discussed yesterday, Hillary Clinton had emails on her private server in which the the Iranian spy who was just hanged in Iran, he, he was openly discussed and called our friend. Uh, in in her email server. And so there was speculation, unbased speculation, because we don't have evidence of this yet, that the Iranians may have hacked her server, and that's how they found out that this guy was a spy. Unlikely. The likely answer is that they knew he was a spy, and they threatened his family, so he came back, and then they hanged him. But it's a question. It's a decent question. So somebody asks it to the State Department. Watch the State Department avoid answering these questions.
3: We're not going to comment on what may have led to this event. Um, But as we spoke about with Matt, you know, there was public
4: reporting on this topic back in 2010. Former Secretary Clinton discussed this issue in public at that time. So this is not something that became
5: public uh, when the State Department released those emails.
0: Okay, so she says we're not going to discuss it, and then she goes on to justify Hillary Clinton. But it's amazing that she won't just say Hillary's server wasn't hacked, right? Wouldn't that be your normal answer? Wouldn't your normal answer be we have no evidence that Hillary Clinton's email is hacked? But they can't say that because they don't know the answer because Hillary's email might well have been hacked. Nobody knows the answer to that, including Hillary Clinton's own state department. But that's not stopping Hillary from campaigning. She's going after Donald Trump and she's winning. I mean, the, right now, the polls are very, very bad for Donald Trump. He's down anywhere from 10 to 15 points in most of the major national polls. He's now running behind in Georgia. He's running behind in Arizona. He's running about even in North Carolina. I and mean, th- these are not good polls for Donald Trump. I mean, these, this, And we'll, we'll discuss the ramifications all of, for all of this for the Republican Party and what it means for the future in a little while, but Hillary knows that she doesn't have to defend herself. This is the beauty of being a Democrat. And Trump had to know this going in. We all had to know this going in. There was not going to be any fairness from the media. The media were never going to cover Hillary's scandals. They were never going to cover the fact that yesterday, two Benghazi families actually sued Hillary Clinton for wrongful death in Benghazi. They're not going to cover that. Can you imagine Can you First of all, Trump University is happening right now. How much coverage has there been of the Trump University lawsuit, this one that's going down in San Diego? Tons and tons of media coverage. Forget what you think about Trump University, whether you think it's a scam or whether you think it's real. The media coverage on it's been extraordinarily heavy. And part of that is because Trump talks about it, but part of it is because the media cover these sorts of things. They cover all of his lawsuits. Hillary Clinton just had a lawsuit filed against her for wrongful death of American cities in Benghazi, Libya. And you can't find that story anywhere but on Fox News. So yes, the media are out to get Trump and they're out to defend Hillary, which frees up Hillary to go on the offensive. So here is Hillary yesterday going going after Donald Trump and saying that he's a bad, mean, terrible man.
1: And don't be fooled. There is no other Donald Trump. What you see is what you get. He is still the same Donald Trump who makes his shirts and his ties overseas instead of in the United States. He is the same Donald Trump who refuses to pay his bills for small businesses and working people. And in fact, he is the same person who can be provoked by a tweet. (laughs) And who takes apparent pleasure in tormenting protesters at his rallies, a reporter with a tough question even a crying baby and a gold star family.
0: Okay, so we can stop at this. So, so Hillary Clinton goes after Trump. Now, two things to note about this. Hillary Clinton's campaign is an absolutely plodding campaign. It just plods forward, step after step after step. There's no surprises. There's no shocks. There's no. There's no color to this campaign. It's an absolutely boring campaign. That's why she's winning. She's winning right now because she's letting Trump hang himself. She's letting Trump just do what he's going to do. Now, if Trump shuts it down, if Trump actually gets back on message, then presumably Hillary may actually have to, may have to do something, because if she's playing with a lead and playing defensively, and Trump gets aggressive with her, then maybe this turns into a little bit of a race, although it's getting very late in the day. There's a report today that Donald Trump has taken out zero dollars in ad time, zero dollars in ad time. Hillary Clinton has taken out 57 million dollars in advertising time. That's, that's not good by the Trump campaign. again. If you want Trump to win, then you have to be looking at him at this point and saying, dude, you have to start running a professional campaign at some point in here. But I just want to note that, that when Trump complains about the media, it's not all false. So you heard Hillary Clinton say, you know, he's bullying a crying baby. We talked about this last week. It was just a funny situation. Right. It was just it was goofy. It was kind of typical Trump. It was funny. The mom of the crying baby is now out in the media and she's saying, why is this an issue? It was kind of hilarious.
1: I would have just been like
6: blushing. I would have I I don't know what I would have done. What what did you think? Oh. I'm sure my face
4: was probably five shades of red like
6: yeah well it it was it was even funnier because the whole crowd that was there turned around also with him and (laughs) they were all
4: looking at me and we were just laughing because they're all going oh what a beautiful baby and you know it was just so funny because they were just going right along with him
6: and the whole crowd was like totally engaged so it was it was hilarious and so so
0: Okay, so it was hilarious, but that's not how the media covered it. There was an actual think piece, like a long think piece, about all of the terrible, terrible things that Donald Trump had done to this this poor little baby. I mean, it's just come on, come on. I mean, this is this is silly talk. Now, this isn't to say that that Donald Trump is is a is a a standard bearer for conservatism. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to go through his economic speech, which I think is kind of important because it's important to actually mention. His policy here, and we'll do a little bit of good, good Trump, bad Trump, but unfortunately we're at the end of our live feed. So if you want to see the good Trump, bad Trump and, and you want to hear us talk about this new, this new candidate, Eric McMuffin, Eric McMullen, I think. M- M- McMuffin. Uh, and if you want to hear us talk about the things I like And the things I hate And it's a very rich episode of things I hate Go to dailywire.com And you can subscribe for $8 a month You stingy bastards Just pay out the money And, and, and become part of the system At dailywire.com Or you can listen at SoundCloud Or at iTunes We are the number one conservative podcast in America By leaps and bounds, actually uh, and, uh, and so you're going to want to join the fight And join the team Dailywire.com to become a subscriber <laughs> bunga dude Alright so we're back And here's the thing So it's time for some Good Trump Bad Trump So Trump yesterday Had a pretty good day Not externally Externally he had a very bad day There were these 50 National security experts Who couldn't be bothered To say anything in the primaries But now that Trump Is the nominee Now they come out And they say they don't like Trump Susan Collins Who's the senator from Maine She says she doesn't like Trump Uh, There there are some, you know, kind of bad pieces of news. The polling is, is bad for Trump. But Trump himself had a good day, because somebody took away his phone and hid it from him while he was in the bathroom. And so he was incapable of tweeting out silly things. And so all you got of Trump yesterday was actually his economic speech, and his economic speech was not terrible. His economic speech, I have to say, our standards in this election have been lowered so much That what would be considered by any stretch of the imagination, like a normal stump speech, is now considered like, yeah, Donald, you can do it. We sort of treat Donald Trump as a candidate the way I treat my two-year-old daughter when I take her swimming, which is, oh, my—you just swam five feet, honey. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Like, at the very end, I had to grab your hands and pull you out of the water so you didn't drown, but it was really, really great. That's sort of how we treat Trump as a candidate, unfortunately. We, we, We treat him with these kind of kid gloves. Oh, Donald, you read from a teleprompter. And you didn't make any huge mistakes. I mean, you did make one mistake where he's, you were trying to say the word cities, and instead you said a word that sounds like a strip club. But uh, but aside from that, it was it was pretty good. So we'll do a little bit good Trump, bad Trump here. We'll start with, as always, good Trump. So uh, Trump still has his sense of humor, which is good because he doesn't have much else in the polls. So speaking of Trump's sense of humor, I wish that this is what Trump people like about Trump. What people like about Trump is when he seems like he's having fun. Lately, he just seems like he's bitter and angry at the world because the polls aren't going his way. But... When he's having fun up there, then people tend to like him. So here was how Donald Trump dealt with some protesters yesterday.
3: Home ownership is at its lowest rate in 51 years. waiting. thank you very much thank you i will say the bernie sanders people had far more energy and spirit i will say
0: all right good stuff and and look at you donald look at that like a contained response like you didn't actually call for them to be beaten up or dragged out by the feet and hung up and and caned or anything like that was good that was really good. And some of his other economic policy stuff was not bad either. Like, for example, here is Donald Trump talking about Detroit and what all the problems with Detroit. Some of this is good. Some of this is bad. We'll explain what's good and what's bad.
3: When we were governed by the America first policy, Detroit was absolutely booming. Engineers, builders, laborers, shippers and countless others went to work each day, provided for their families and lived out totally lived out the American dream. But for many living in this city, that dream has long ago vanished. When we abandoned the policy of America first, we started rebuilding other countries instead of our own. The skyscrapers went up in Beijing and many other cities around the world, while the factories and neighborhoods crumbled right here in Detroit. Our roads and bridges fell into disrepair, yet we found the money to resettle millions of refugees at taxpayer expense. Today, Detroit has per capita income of under $15,000, about half of the national average. Forty percent of the city's residents live in poverty, over two and a half times the national average. The unemployment rate is more than twice the national average. Half of all Detroit residents do not work. Detroit tops the list of the most dangerous cities in terms of
0: violent crime. protesters yelling in the background. We can stop it there for a second. So what Trump is saying about how terrible Detroit is is absolutely true. It's actually kind of amazing. You know, he, he, I'll explain that his diagnosis here is wrong. His, 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 uh, his answer, actually, his, his diagnosis is sort of correct, that, that, that Detroit stinks. His, 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 his recommendation, his prescription is totally wrong, and I'll explain why in a second. But when, when you go to Detroit, it's actually kind of fascinating. I was in Detroit maybe a couple of years ago uh, for, a, for a conference for Hillsdale College, And I was supposed to do my morning radio show from Detroit, so I had to drive over to the local Salem station. Well, the local Salem affiliate is located right on 8 Mile Road, which, of course, is famous because of the Eminem film. And if you drive along 8 Mile, it's the, it's the border between two counties. It's the border between Wayne County and Detroit County. It's the, it's the border between the, the Detroit city proper and then the suburbs. And it's like legitimately a dividing line. It's where, it's where one authority ends and another authority begins. And when you drive along this street, what you see is on one side of the street, you see nice buildings, you see the radio station, you see nice houses. On the other side of the street, literally legitimately on the other side of the street, I swear to God, on the other side of the street, what you see is liquor store, Out of business shoe store, liquor store, tire store, tattoo shop, liquor store, out of business tire store. Like, that's what it looks like. It's just for forever and occasionally a strip club. That's that's legitimately what it looks like on the Detroit side of, of 8 Mile. And the reason that it looks that way is not because we're outsourcing jobs to China. Okay? That's not why. The reason it looks that way is because what happened in Detroit is that the government in Detroit decided that it would be worthwhile to tax everybody out of existence, and everybody just moved into the suburbs. So all the areas that are directly around Detroit are just fine. Detroit itself has emptied out of every taxpayer. All the people who couldn't afford to leave are still stuck there, but the tax. Taxes are high, so nobody's coming back in and building businesses. The only people who are left are people who don't have jobs. And the reason that they don't have jobs is because all the people who built the businesses have left. So too many regulations, too much taxation. The unions like UAW absolutely destroyed the manufacturing base in Michigan because they signed all of these lucrative contracts with the auto manufacturers, basically blackmailed them into it with the help of the federal government through the National Labor Relations Board. And then it turns out that it's cheaper to manufacture somewhere else. Now, what Trump does, he goes on, and and here's where you get into bad Trump, of course. Trump diagnoses the problem in Detroit not as a few problems that that are deeply interrelated. Too much government interventionism, too many social services provided by too much taxation. There's no one left to pay the taxes, so you actually have to try and force people to stay. A few years ago, the mayor of Detroit tried to actually say that if you wanted to work in the city of Detroit, he wanted to pass a law that said if you had to work in the city of Detroit, you had to live in the city of Detroit, so you couldn't commute in. He was trying to do that to try and get somebody to come in and pay all the massive taxes that he wanted everybody to pay. Instead of blaming it on the taxation, instead of blaming it on the regulation and the unions and blaming it on the, the incredible social services that the city government kept voting that were never going to come to fruition because there was no one to pay the taxes. Instead of actually telling the true story of Detroit, in other words, Donald Trump tells a fake story. And the fake story that Donald Trump tells is that we basically let all of these companies, let them, right? It's a free country. They should be able to do what they want. We let them take their jobs and move them to Mexico, and that's why nobody in Michigan has a job anymore. Here's Donald Trump talking about trade and making basically that case.
3: Because my only interest is the American people— I have previously laid out a detailed seven-point plan for trade reform available on my website. It includes strong protections against currency manipulation. Big problem.
0: And I want to explain to people what currency manipulation is and why he's talking about it. So Donald Trump's suggestion is that when China inflates its currency, it's destroying our manufacturing base. The reason he says this is let's say that China has to pay its workers. So what it does, it, it inflates its currency, it pays its workers more more of its currency, but it means but the, but the currency is worth less. So basically, I can now buy more from China theoretically because they've inflated their currency right my dollar is now worth more of their currency it's worth more again right or one i think is their currency it's it's worth more one so i so my dollar is worth more one i can buy more things there presumably this means that i can buy more labor there and i can outsource the only problem with this particular point of view is that it's not true currency manipulation doesn't do anything in the long term all currency manipulation does is destroy your savings rate in the country in which you're working This is why Venezuela has had tremendous, tremendous problems with inflating its currency, and nobody is working there, right? Everybody's unemployed. Weimar Germany used to inflate its currency all the way up to the point where people were— there are pictures of this shoveling wheelbarrows around full of money. That didn't make Weimar Republic a a hub for investment. It made people feel unstable. It made it feel like you couldn't invest there because who knew what the government was going to do? They were going to start grabbing money any second. So currency manipulation. Uh, Mitt Romney used to put focus on this too, and it really is not. It's not really a, a strong economic point. If China manipulates its currency, all they're doing is giving us a temporary advantage in our ability to hire their workers. But those workers are presumably willing to work for cheaper anyway, because again, those workers still have to eat, and they have to spend their yuan on other food to pay for the food. So. We can't—it it, it doesn't work this way, in other words. To put it in short, Donald Trump's vision of currency manipulation is not really a relevant one. It's not economically literate. Okay, we can continue. Tariffs against
3: any countries that cheat by unfairly subsidizing their goods. And it includes a total renegotiation of NAFTA, which is a disaster for our country. A total— about-
0: So he talks about we're signing these bad deals and NAFTA is a disaster for the country and TPP is a disaster for the country. Okay, there's a case against TPP. The case against TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, is a a case against giving President Obama what we call free trade authority, FTA. The reason that we don't want to give Obama free trade authority is because that basically pre-signs away Congress's ability to look at any trade deal he negotiates. Trade promotion authority, TPA, right? That's, That's what it's called. So if so... The reason we don't want to give that to Obama is because he could negotiate a climate change deal under the guise of a trade deal and then ram it down our throats. That's the real reason that conservatives, many of them, are opposed to the Trans-Pacific Partnership deal. We don't even know what's in it. But NAFTA, you know, the TPP in principle, the idea of free trade agreements in principle, Trump is against those in principle. This is stupid. The idea that free trade is what destroyed the domestic auto industry is just not true. What destroyed the domestic auto industry, and I've written a full monograph on this, what destroyed the domestic auto industry in the United States was heavy government subsidies for years, followed by massive unionization and bad deals which drove up the cost of labor, and because the United States was subsidizing the auto industry. They could afford to pay all of these high wages to to the various auto workers. And then we opened up our markets because it turned out that people were sick of paying twice what they ought to pay for a car because the cars in the 1970s, look at American cars in the 1970s, they suck. The reason they suck is because they'd been subsidized. We opened up our markets and immediately Asian cars started pouring into the United States and taking up market share. So at that point, the American auto industry started to go under, right? Chrysler declared its first bankruptcy in the 80s. So I think Ford declared bankruptcy at that point too. The the idea is that you have to that that what you actually have to do is open all of the markets and then ensure that American business is the most competitive. NAFTA actually did that. So NAFTA actually saved jobs in the car business. The reason NAFTA saved jobs in the car business is because if we did not allow, if we weren't able to allow our car companies to compete in the global marketplace, then there wouldn't have any there wouldn't be any place for us to sell those cars. We could sell some of them in America, but they'd be really, really expensive. People would buy the foreign cars anyway because they're better. And then all those domestic car jobs would just go away. What happened in NAFTA is we shipped a lot of the kind of low-rent manufacturing jobs from places like Michigan all the way down to Mexico. But what that also allowed is for the car manufacturers to locate other plants in places in the United States that weren't heavily unionized, like down south in Mississippi. Right? Mississippi's seen a booming car industry because of NAFTA. Because now that we can have jobs down in Mexico, it makes it cheaper for the car companies to manufacture the components in the United States, because now you're in a geographically similar territory. If it hadn't been for NAFTA, all that would have happened is that companies like American companies, they would just go overseas to Korea and Japan and Vietnam and China, and they would have manufactured American cars overseas. They wouldn't be American cars anymore. This is why it's, it's funny. When I was younger, I used to only buy American cars. I don't do that anymore. I've bought Hondas. And the reason is because a lot of the Honda that you drive is actually made in America. And a lot of the Ford that you drive is made somewhere else, because of globalization. Okay, but Trump says that it's it's free trade that's really destroying all these jobs. The fact is, all of the cool things that you have are basically due to free trade. And if you put tariffs on cars coming in, and if you tariff companies that if you tariff countries that subsidize their their domestic entries, uh, their, their their domestic industries, all you're doing is punishing the American consumer. Like if China wants to subsidize its car industry, that just means it's cheaper for me to buy a car. Good. Now I can spend my money on industries that are super-duper competitive in America, like, for example, the burgeoning technology industry. right? We can use it on the service industry in the United States. The nice thing about economics is that it follows the consumer. It's my job to decide what is the best buying decision. It's not Donald Trump's job to decide what's the best buying decision. Because I buy based on what I need for my family, and nobody has the right to interfere with that. Nobody has the right to interfere with that. Okay, so, you know, then he continues, And and then he, he gets to the good part of his speech. So this is the kind of Bernie Sanders, Democrat part of his speech. Then he gets to the actual good part of Trumpnomics, which is sort of the supply side half, the free market half of Trump economics. So here is Donald Trump ripping into Hillary Clinton.
3: Every policy that has failed this city and so many others is a policy supported by Hillary Clinton. She supports the high taxes and radical regulation that force jobs out of your community. And the crime policies have made you far, far less safe. And the immigration policies that have strained local budgets and the trade deals like NAFTA, signed by her husband, that have shipped your jobs to Mexico and other countries. And she supports the education policies that deny your students choice. Freedom and opportunity. Everything he
0: says right there, everything he says there, with the exception of the NAFTA nonsense, is true, right? The Democrats support crappy education policy that keeps kids trapped in failing schools in inner city Detroit. They support all of the crime policies that make Detroit a haven for crime and ensure that nobody can invest. You really want to have investment in inner cities, folks? What you actually need is a low crime area. Nobody's going to take their company's money and put it in an area where they are afraid that the, the business is going to get robbed every couple of days. It's just not how things work. So Trump is right about this. And then Trump talks about tax reform. And this, of course, is also good stuff.
3: I am proposing an across-the-board income tax reduction, especially for middle-income Americans. This will lead to millions of new and really good-paying jobs. The rich will pay their fair share, but no one will pay so much that it destroys jobs or undermines our ability as a nation to compete. As part of this reform, we will eliminate the carried interest deduction. Thank you. As part of this reform, We will eliminate the carried interest deduction, well-known deduction, and other special interest loopholes that have been so good for Wall Street investors and for people like me, but unfair to American workers.
0: Stop it there. So so what now he's, again, the the problem with Trumpism is that it mixes up a lot of good stuff with a lot of silly stuff. So when Trump says we have to lower tax rates, obviously that's true. But at the same time, when he says that the rich will pay their fair share, okay, the top 1% of income earners in the United States are paying nearly half of all income taxes in America. They're paying 46% of all income taxes in America. The top 1% are paying 46% of all income taxes in America. They're paying their fair share, and they're paying more than their fair share. The top 20% are paying 84% of all federal income tax. Whenever we talk about middle-income Americans are bearing the tax burden, they are absolutely not bearing the tax burden. The people bearing the tax burden are the people at the top of the economic echelon. Okay? And it's not close. It's by far. It's by far. When he talks about the carried income loophole, okay, what he's talking about, the carried the carried interest loophole. What he's talking about is a way that, that, that financial firms reward hedge fund partners. Basically, if they do a good job, if you're a general partner of a private investment fund and you get income that flows to you as the general partner of a private investment fund, it's treated as capital gains. Your bonus gets treated as capital gains instead of as income. He says that this is a terrible thing. I don't think it really matters much. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, sort of a, it's a throwaway line that pleases people who are anti-Wall Street, The fact is that the tax system should be significantly simpler. Just get rid of all deductions and have a lower tax rate. Just get rid of all deductions. Then you don't have to keep your receipts and you don't have to worry about what does the government think is worthwhile and what does the government think is not worthwhile. Either have a single flat rate Right, like Steve Forbes said, or have a national sales tax, as Neil Bortz once proposed, the, the, what he called the fair tax. But the, the, the way the tax system works as a whole is a joke. But what Trump is proposing here generally is not bad stuff at all. So the Wall Street Journal even is, is pleased with this, which is kind of a shocker. Wall Street Journal's Daniel Henninger, he says that Trump's speech about the economy was, was quite good.
6: I think this was the first important step in a big uh, uphill comeback for Donald Trump. The question now is whether he will stay on message, whether he'll go around the country basically repeating this speech, giving people some hope, giving the details of his economic plan, simplifying the tax code down to three basic rates. Uh, lowering the corporate uh, gains rate, eliminating the death tax, requiring regulators to justify federal regulations. I mean, these are things that will appeal both to families, as he said, and I think to small businessmen, and as well as to uh, some of the uh, corporate types who've been having their doubts about Mr. Trump. Donald Trump's going to try to overcome all that with the strength of his message. That message today that he gave in Detroit is a very strong one. And I think if he keeps pushing it, he will at least be able to compete and perhaps start narrowing the gap in the polls.
0: Okay, so what he's saying here is, I think, not completely false. I think that if Trump stays on message, obviously he's going to have a much better shot at winning than if he, than if he gets off message. The part, by the way, of, uh, of Daniel Henninger here is being played by John Wood uh, from War Games. But in any case, the fact that Trump is on message about the economy, I think is a positive for the Trump campaign. Is it enough? I don't think it's enough. The reason I don't think it's enough is because, again, all of Trump's economics are infused with the basic idea that the economy is rigged against you. Okay, The economy is not rigged against you. Free trade is not rigged against you. It turns out that most obstacles in life are, are overcomable if you work hard enough. I really believe this. I really think that this is the case, especially in, in a free country at least, this is the case. Free trade is a form of freedom. If you don't like competition in the global marketplace. That's your problem. It's not mine as a consumer, and it's not mine as a worker. And the idea that, that Donald Trump is going to come in, and he's going to lie to you, and he's, going to, and he's going to make America great again by pushing all of these regulations on the ability to trade, that's foolishness. That said, his tax policy is just fine, but it's the merger of the two that's, that's sort of troubling. Peter Nalen is this guy who's running against Paul Ryan in, in Wisconsin. Um, and he's going to lose. I think the vote is today and he's going to lose badly. But Peter Nalen, he, he goes after Paul Ryan. He, why? Because he's a globalist. And this is the word that you've heard a lot. Globalist. Here's Peter Nalen doing exactly that. Say this, I'm asking Chris. a
5: simple question. Are both they're, sides they're, clean on this? You think Republicans are clean no, on illegal immigration? No, no, they no. They cheap labor. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not.
6: There is a group of Democrats and a group of Republicans that are absolutely working together against the American people. They want cheap labor in here because that's what their donors want. I called Paul Ryan the head of the soulless uh, snake, globalist okay. snake, because Paul Ryan wants cheap labor in this country. Chris, there's 5.5 billion people in this, in this, in this world that make less than the average Mexican worker. What are we going to do? Are we going to open our doors to 5.5 okay. billion, billion people, people uh, to come yeah.
0: OK, so you, th- this, is, this is one of the things that annoys me about Trumpnomics is the implication that if you want free trade, that you must want everyone to illegally immigrate to the United States. And so people use the word globalist like that's what it means. That's not what globalist means. Global, globalist means you want international institutions to rule the United States, right? You want the U.N. to tell us what to do. That's not what free trade is. Free trade is no one telling us what to do, and certainly our government not telling us as individuals what to do. It's the conflation of these two things, the free trade and globalism, that really irks me when it comes to economics. Okay, so in other news today, uh, there is a new supposedly never-Trump candidate. I want to make a quick point about never-Trump. Never-Trump is kind of two things. There's there's what the media thinks never-Trump is, and then there are the people who declare themselves never-Trump. So what never-Trump actually is is individuals who decide that they can't vote for Trump. Right. When people say I'm never Trump, what they mean is I'm an individual who has said that I can't vote in good conscience for Donald Trump for a variety of reasons that I've explained a thousand times before. You know, all that said, there's a group of people who are supposedly never Trump. And their idea is we must stop Donald Trump from becoming president at all costs. I don't I think this this election is lost to conservatives no matter what happens. So I I have no I'm certainly not going to back Hillary Clinton and I have no interest uh, in, in overtly attempting to sink uh Donald Trump with with another candidate that's not that's not my goal here my goal is to tell the truth across the board about all of these candidates one of the people that are throwing up is is a guy named Eric McMuffin McMullen um and McMuffin is uh, is a CIA former CIA agent and seems like a good solid conservative um but I just want to point out one thing so he, here is McMullen he's he's now declared his candidacy for president of the United States he's eligible in like three states uh, it's more like 20, but he's, he's not going to do any damage at all. But here he is on TV last night talking about Donald Trump and why he's running.
4: He's already demonstrated that he doesn't respect them or their families, his attacks on our American heroes like the Khan family and like John McCain. This is somebody that we cannot trust the lives of those who are already risking their, their lives, too. He is he is inhuman. Donald Trump does not care about anyone other than himself.
0: Okay, so he's going after Trump really hard, obviously. And then Trish Regan asks McMuffin, are you okay with Hillary Clinton picking Supreme Court judges?
4: Are you okay then with Hillary Clinton? Getting elected? Are you okay oh, with your taxes going higher? Are you okay with her no. picking the Supreme not. Court justices?
0: Of course. Listen, the
4: suggestion then is that 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 I somehow would force her to win. Donald Trump is losing badly already to Hillary. I've just entered the race today; he's doing terribly, and he can't keep his foot out of his mouth. And today, but, but you just heard Chris say, mm-hmm. you know, look, it's it's early. There's still uh, more than 90 days to go, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, polls uh, mm-hmm. they can be meaningless when you finally go to the ballot box. Oh well, I think, uh, and there are I, polls there right now that. Suggest he is actually running quite tightly with her uh, in some states. The real clear, so the thinking would be yeah. that you might pull away some mm-hmm. of those votes, therefore mm-hmm. tipping the favor to Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump is losing badly now, according to the polls. According to the Real Clear Politics average poll, even which is uh, uh, doesn't necessarily reflect the current situation, and it still shows that he's quite a bit behind. Donald Trump keeps saying terrible things that alienates large mm-hmm. swaths of the politi- of, of of the, of the population. He's wholly unfit. I, th- I think, in fact, he's dangerous to the country. And by the way, he is not a conservative. The idea that Donald Trump is a conservative is a complete farce. He is a con man who pretends to be a conservative. Wow. Well, those are some big allegations not- for someone who doesn't want to see Hillary Clinton elected.
0: Okay, uh, this sort of argument annoys me that you're you're acknowledging the truth about Donald Trump and this is what's going to get Hillary elected. No, it's going to get Hillary elected is the fact that you idiots nominated Donald Trump in the first place. And now he's getting absolutely destroyed by 15 points. I will say that when it comes to Eric McMullen McMuffin, that it's it seems um, one of the reasons he's not going to go anywhere is because he doesn't know how to do this. If you actually wanted to launch a campaign like this, a common man campaign, what you need to do is you, you need to go in there and actually not be so serious. You actually need to go in there. and You need to say, look. I woke up—when the, they say, why are you run. You say, look, I woke up this morning, and this campaign was not just a dumpster fire. It was a dumpster fire atop a trash boat that was also on fire and was sinking into the middle of the, of the dung-infested, Zika-infested seas of Rio. That's what this election was. And so I looked around, and I thought, can I do better than this? And then I thought— Well, yeah, pretty much anybody can. My dog can do better than this. And yet everybody seems too chicken to actually get up there and say it. So screw it. I'm here. And, you know, you want to vote for me, vote for me. You don't want to vote for me. Don't vote for me. I'm a nobody. That's the reason I'm running. I'm running because I'm a nobody. You have two somebodies and they both stink. Right? That's, how, that's how he actually should approach this, um, but uh, that's, not how he's, uh, approaching, uh, that's not how he's approaching this. And never, Trump is not going to stop Trump. Okay? The, the only thing that's going to stop Trump is Trump. Hillary Clinton is deeply vulnerable. Obviously, she makes mistakes that are unbelievably gargantuan, like having the father of a terrorist at one of her rallies to, sitting behind her so that they're both visible in the photos. It's just amazing stuff. And if Trump had one iota of decency as a candidate, then he'd be killing her in the polls, and he should be killing her in the polls. So this raises a final question before we get to things I like and things I hate. And that is, who's to blame for the rise of Trump? So a big battle has broken out, everybody's looking at the polls right now, and panic has set in. And it's a, the, here's the truth, it's a little bit early for panic to sit in. There's some new Quinnipiac polls that are out right now. In Florida, Hillary is up by one, forty six forty five. 45. In Ohio, Hillary is up by 3 or 4, 49 to 45. In Pennsylvania, Hillary is up by 10, 52 to 42. So it's not a blowout in some of these states yet. You know, the, the, the polls show that she's obviously gained. She's obviously doing well in some of these states, but it's not a massive blowout yet. But the panic is setting in anyway. So some of the people who are panicking are big Trump supporters. So Sean Hannity, who's been supporting Trump for well, since the primaries, I mean, clearly, clearly pro-Trump, as one online wag joked. You know, I wish that my wife looked at me the way that Sean Hannity looks at Donald Trump. Sean Hannity, a few days ago, uh, he uh, he went off on all the people he's going to blame if if Donald Trump loses.
6: It seems Paul Ryan is and some of these other establishment Republican types have taken to the idea that they are going to be true to what it means to be a Republican. And I don't think there's anything about Trump's agenda that's not conservative, except maybe with the issue of trade. You can argue on the issue of free trade, but I think Trump's a free trader. He just wants better trade deals and everything to him is a negotiation. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I feel like I'm going to tell you one other thing. I'm just going to say it. Because it needs to be said. If in 96 days Trump loses this election, I am pointing the finger directly at people like Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham and John McCain and John Kasich and Ted Cruz, if he won't endorse, and any of the Jeb Bush and everybody else that made promises they're not keeping. And because I have watched and witnessed to the point of incredible frustration, I have watched these Republicans be more harsh towards Donald Trump than they've ever been in standing up to Barack Obama and his radical agenda that has doubled the national debt that has resulted in a 51-year low in terms of home ownership in this country, the percentage of homes that are owned by Americans, that has led to the lowest labor participation rate since the 70s, and that has led to millions and millions and millions more Americans in poverty and on food stamps and out of the labor force. They did nothing. Nothing. All these phony votes to repeal and replace Obamacare show votes so they can go back and keep their power and get reelected. Sorry, you created Donald Trump, all of you.
0: Okay, so so his case is basically that, that the Republican Congress created Donald Trump. There's merit to this. There's merit to this. The frustration that Republican voters feel with the Republican establishment for not doing enough to fight Barack Obama's amnesty and Obamacare, that's justified. Here's the problem. What Sean Hannity's solution was, was to get behind the one guy who is not conservative on any of these issues. And he's not. I mean, Trump is not a conservative. He doesn't believe all of the things that we believe. I'll play a tape in a moment showing you just this. You know, Donald Trump is, is not any of the things that Hannity proposes to be. If Sean Hannity actually thought that these were the big problems that he had with the Republican establishment. I mean, it's funny. He's, he's ripping into Ted Cruz for not endorsing Donald Trump. And saying that, they, that, that these people didn't fight against Obamacare? Excuse me, Ted Cruz was the guy who was filibustering Obamacare on the floor of the Senate. Ted Cruz was the guy who was trying to shut down the government to stop Obamacare. And don't, don't give me this routine. They're like, lumping in Paul Ryan with Ted Cruz is just ridiculous. So that's what's wrong with that argument. So, yes, the Republican establishment bears a heavy burden of blame for the anger that led to the nomination of Donald Trump. But there's another side to this. And that other side is the reaction of some people like Sean Hannity was to go and get behind the guy who has no interest in pushing against the Republican establishment agenda. He actually agrees with the Democrats on half this stuff. Okay, so so that's one side of this. On the other side, you got establishment folks like Brett Stevens over at The Wall Street Journal, and he and Sean Hannity have been going at it tooth and nail Over the past few days on Twitter, he called uh, Brett Stevens called Sean, I think, the the dumbest man at Fox News. And then Sean Hannity responded by calling Brett Stevens a dumbass with his head up his ass, which was not the world's greatest response. And so here's Brett Stevens talking about the Trump campaign. This is the
5: standard line of the Trump side of the party, that all of us who oppose him are just a bunch of elites who live in an Acela corridor in this Uh, bubble of unimaginable wealth. I wish I had been born into an extremely wealthy New York real estate family and been given multi-million dollar loans to get my start in life. I started uh, at the bottom like so, uh, so many of us did. And to the extent that I've achieved anything, I think it's on merit. A lot of Americans feel the same way. It's not a convincing argument. And it's particularly not convincing when Trump is telling so many people who are at the bottom, who are first-generation uh, Americans, who are trying to rise, that he has a different vision. It's not a vision of opportunity, of, of mobility. It's basically increasingly a vision of The uh, the privileges of a white ethnic bloc, who he is speaking to, and if the Republican Party becomes essentially the white party, it is going to be the death of it. Not only for demographic reasons, but for reasons of principle. The Party of Lincoln is a party of opportunity for everyone. It's a party about the right to rise, and Mr. Trump, unfortunately, doesn't represent that view. Uh, Can the Republican Party recapture that that after his loss? I think is the great. Okay, so, so,
0: so we can. Okay, so so Stevens. Just like Hannity, some of what Hannity said is true, some of what Stevens is saying is true now. What he's saying about Trump doing this kind of ethno-nationalist routine, there's a lot of truth to that. There is a lot of truth to that. Here's where Stevens goes wrong, and at the very end, he drops the line, right to rise. Whose slogan was that? Anybody remember? That's Jeb Bush's slogan, right? So Jeb Bush was one of the reasons why people reacted with alacrity to Donald Trump, because they felt like there's this Republican insider class that doesn't care about a lot of the grassroots issues. Right. The people that Sean Hannity is talking about who are happy to cut a deal with the Democrats, who don't care that much about illegal immigration or just looking for a way out of the issue, who are who are looking to to increase illegal immigration in some cases and and who say that anybody who cares about this must be a xenophobe and a rube. This sort of tension existed before Trump. Trump was just the apotheosis of it. The problem is that the answer from everybody seems to be like you've got Hannity out blaming Stevens for Trump and Trump and Stevens blaming Hannity for Trump. The bottom line is that everyone picked the wrong vehicle. Everybody picked the wrong vehicle. Because the real Donald Trump is a man without core and a man without principle. And that's going to bear fruit beyond this election. You know, I, I mentioned that this is sort of the Republican Dunkirk. And it is. Because the fact is that right now Donald Trump is not running first, second, or third among people under the age of 30. He is running fourth among people under the age of, of 30. He's now running at 9% behind Joel Stein and Gary Johnson. And okay, that's a problem. And it's a problem, because those people are voting for the first time, many of them, and they're going to keep voting the way they vote this time. And if you go out there and you stump for a guy like Donald Trump, regardless what your short-term reasons were, you do that, you, you break it, you bought it. And, you know, that's that's a problem. I, I do think that it's worthwhile noting here. For all the people who keep insisting that Donald Trump is some sort of great conservative, there's a person who cut a five-minute video, he won't play the whole thing, just going—no just it, all, the, no commentary. It's just Trump on all the issues and— You'll you'll see. I mean, he has contradicted himself on legitimately every issue he's ever talked about.
3: I'm the only one on the stage that said we should not go into Iraq.
5: Are you for invading Iraq? Yeah, I guess so. Uh,
3: You know, I wish it was. I, I wish the first time it was done correctly. Is on abortion. I'm very pro-life. I'm very pro-choice. Do you believe in punishment for abortion, yes or no, as a principle? There has to be some form of punishment. I am pro-choice in every respect. He's on Hillary. She has no natural talent to be president. She's very talented and she has a husband that I also like very much. Hillary Clinton was the worst secretary of state in the history of the United States. Hillary Clinton, how did she do as secretary of state? Probably above and beyond everybody else. Let's say Hillary is president. I, oh. <laughs> Hillary Clinton, I think, is a terrific woman. I think she really works hard, and I think she does a good job, and I like her. I will build the wall, and Mexico is going to pay for it, and they'll be happy to pay for it. I'm not going to pay for that wall. This guy used a filthy, disgusting word on television, and he should be ashamed of himself, and he should apologize, okay? Listen, is your mother.
0: He's dropping the MF word Okay, so it goes on like this for five minutes. I mean, it's five minutes of Trump flip-flopping all over the place. The point here is not that Trump is worse than Hillary Clinton. I don't think he is. I think they're both horror shows. And you'll make the decision on how you want to vote yourself. But... If this was your solution to your anger at the Republican establishment was to nominate a guy who five years ago, 10 years ago, was legitimately saying he's more of a Democrat than a Republican on the issues, that was a major mistake by everybody. Okay. Time for things I like and things I hate. So we're doing sci-fi movies today and this week on things I like. So uh, there's a movie that came out and it didn't do well at the box office because the ad campaign for it was really flawed. Uh, People thought the name of the movie was Live, Die, Repeat. It wasn't. It's called Edge of Tomorrow this movie is terrific it's a really really good sci-fi flick we'll play a little bit of the preview what i am about to tell you sounds
4: crazy and you have to listen to me your very lives depend on it
3: can i help you sir what day is it for you judgment day
4: you just came in with the fresh recruits
0: So basically, the premise of the film is that Tom Hanks, every, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, every time he dies in this film, he repeats the day. But it's not just like a video game. Like, it actually has a plot. It actually moves forward. Um, and it's in, there's an alien invasion. And he, for some reason, every time he dies, he wakes up and he gets to replay the day. And so can he defeat the, the, the aliens? And he's helped out by Emily Blunt, who's a wonderful actress. Uh, the, the film is really, really first rate. It's a really good. It's actually moving. It's, it's a very, very good movie. Um, and uh, and you should definitely check it out. A lot of fun. It's also Tom Cruise kind of at his best because he starts off the film as the press flack for the army, and so he's basically playing Jerry Maguire, and then they say, okay, we need everybody on the front lines, and now you're a soldier. And it's, and it's kind of great in the sense that you see him turn from Jerry Maguire, kind of the self-centered jerk, into Jerry Maguire at the end of the film. Tom Hanks is always best playing the self-centered jerk because probably in real life, he's probably a self-centered jerk, so it makes perfect sense, but he's, but he's very good in this film. Okay, things that I hate. So... You know, we, we keep hearing from the federal government, see something, say something. Anytime you see something that makes you suspicious that somebody is involved with jihadism, then you have to you have to report it. Ahmed Mohammed, clock boy. You remember clock boy? He brought a clock to school that looked exactly like a bomb because it was actually just he didn't invent a clock. Everybody kept saying nice clock. Uh, the, the White House tweeted out nice clock, Ahmed. OK, he legitimately took like a 1980s style clock, took the back off the clock, put it in a pencil box so it looked like a bomb and brought it to school. And then the people there said, hey, that looks like a bomb. And the police came and they checked it out and they briefly detained him and then they let him go. And the White House invited him and he got some sort of internship at Facebook over all this crap because he didn't invent anything. He didn't do anything. First of all, the clock was invented a long time ago. We don't need a new form of a clock. But beyond that, he certainly didn't invent one. And the the White House made a big deal out of him. The whole thing was a joke. The whole thing was a joke. And people said it was racial profiling. It wasn't racial profiling. If I brought a device to school that looked exactly like a bomb and they took me outside of class, it wouldn't be because I look like a, a, an Arab guy. It would be because I brought a device to school. That looks like I mean, People are being pulled out of class now for biting a, a Pop-Tart into the shape of a gun. So that's a bunch of crap. He's now suing his hometown for civil rights violations. So if you think that people are going to keep reporting you know, bad situations as they see them, a good way to prevent that is to keep ensuring that people like Ahmed Mohammed are treated as, as grand heroes. Okay, final thing that I hate today— So, this is just a horrifying story in every possible way. A mother who is 36 and her son, who are 39, of New Mexico, they have now been, they're going to be put on trial for incest. They want to risk everything to be together. Maris is a mother of nine, and she gave birth to Peterson when she was 16 years old, Monica Maris and her son Caleb Peterson. She gave birth to Peterson when she was 16 years old. He was adopted shortly afterward. They were reunited for the first time last year after reconnecting over Facebook. The couple lived separately in Clovis, New Mexico, and they developed feelings for each other, and their relationship became sexual a few weeks later. They've been banned from having any contact by the court. Here's what they look like. Do we have the, uh, the pictures of them? I was, at first I told oh, okay, video, okay. Carlos that, um,
1: I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know how you react to this. I'm your mom and you're my son. And I am falling in love with him. He said, are you really? I said, yes, I am. He said, you
5: know what? I was scared to let you know too, I am too. He was too falling in
1: love with me, with his mom. And I was falling in love with my son. And then uh, we ended up talking and we took off to the park. And we ended up asked him, will you ever date your mom? And he said, will you date your son? I said, honest truth, yes, I would. Because 19 years, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And I really want to be with you the rest of my life. And I really want to be with them. It's kind of hard right now, but I don't care
2: what people say.
5: Um, what happened was we were we were hanging out and, you know, just talking, you know, just laughing. And I looked at her and she looked at me and I just, I kissed her. It was a real kiss. It was. It had feelings behind it. it I, I It had a spark in that. Ever since then, it just... You know, it just stayed. Honestly, I really didn't think we would. We were both consenting adults. If if uh, it comes down to it, you know, it's just like the gays. They're, they're, you know, as long as they're over 18, everything's fine. But you know, she's an adult, I'm an adult, I can make my own decisions. I never thought it would blow up into something
0: like this. Honestly, so, so, first of all, they're both gorgeous specimens, um, the, 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 which is only relevant insofar as it's slightly hilarious. Like, she's got a big face tattoo on the side of her face. He's got tattoos down the side of his cheek. Uh, it's just, it's glorious all the way through. Here's the thing that is funny and ironic about all of this. I mean, look at that beautiful couple. I mean, that's just, uh, the offspring will be tremendous. Okay, so the the reason that presumably, the, the reason that... that it is illegal to participate in incest is because of the possibility of bearing two-headed babies. This is the usual reason that people give for why you should not have incest. Okay, so the answer would be, okay, fine, she gets her tubes tied. right? What he says, when he says it's just like the gays, this is actually not incorrect. Not that they are morally similar, but if your only standard of a decent human sexual relationship is consent, then your only standard is consent. And you're just being a bigot. Right? What business is it of yours whether a son has sex with his mother? What business is it of yours if, if he sees things from both directions coming in and going out? What's, what's the, what, is the, what is the difference? You know, because that's just you being a bigot. That's just you and your old-fashioned standards. Because the truth is, the reason people oppose this is not because they fear two-headed babies. It's because they look at this and they know deep down in their moral core that this is wrong. And there is such a thing as the human conscience. And people all over the world look at this and they say, this is wrong, this is nasty, this is problematic, right? But does that just make you a bigot? Watch, it will. Within five years, it'll make you a bigot. Because if you say that, these are two consenting adults, they're in love. How dare you put your standards on their love? How dare you do that? And I, I'd love to see the Supreme Court's explanation of why, in fact, the, the, they shouldn't be able to get married. Why, why should the government not confer dignity. Why shouldn't they confer dignity on on these two people? All the, their only sin, their only sin was to love each other. And you have no good reasons. I'm sorry you don't. And by the way, it would be particularly true if if it happened to be a father and a son. Right? Because then there's no possibility of them actually having kids. So, it just demonstrates once you get rid of uh, of the idea that that there's more to the morality of sex than just consent, that there is something about the relationship between a man and a woman that's special, for example, within the context of marriage, once you just say two consenting adults do whatever they want, then incest rules should be thrown out the window as well. And then there's no, really, I mean, that's the argument. Not just they should be thrown out, they should be rewarded. Why shouldn't the government confer dignity on their relationship? I would love to hear any answers on this. I still haven't heard a good answer, except that That people who are of the left get very offended when you ask the question. This I know. They don't like the question very much. But that doesn't change the basic moral math here, which is if you say only consent matters, then only consent matters. That's your only standard. So my email address for all complaints and and rageful inquiries is bshapiro at dailywire.com. And if you have an answer to that question, if you're on the left or the right and you think you have a good answer, I'd love to hear it because I'm open to any answers to that question because I'm having a hard time seeing as to why there's an answer to that question. Okay. So tomorrow we will be back with much, much more. Tomorrow I think we, uh, we do our, our, our weekly Bible study course for five minutes near the end. Uh, but we will also on Thursday obviously have the, the mailbag, and we want you to be a part of that. So you need to subscribe at dailywire.com to be a part of it. And we're always so happy to have you join us here on The Ben Shapiro Show, the number one conservative podcast in America. See you tomorrow.